Welcome to the Tanakh Talks podcast. My name is Yaakov Beasley and I'm broadcasting live from Alon Shfut in the hills of Yehuda, overlooking Jerusalem. It's a wonderfully sunny day, the day before the seventh day of Pesach. And therefore, that means our topic for today is Shmuel Bet, Bet, the book of Samuel, book 2, chapter 22, the Haftorah for the seventh day of Pesach. We're going to look at the Haftorah from three basic questions. The first question, of course, is, what does the words of the Haftorah say? Two, we're going to look at the Haftorah very briefly. Where does it fit in the overall context of Sefer Shmuel, the book of Samuel? And three, the third question, and the most obvious one, if it's been chosen as a Haftorah for the seventh day of Pesach, the question we have to ask is, why? What is specific about this Haftorah that we'd want to read it on the seventh day of Pesach. The seventh day of Pesach, of course, commemorates the Jews going through the sea of, that has been split by God. At first glance, looking at our Haftorah, there doesn't seem to be any reason whatsoever why this song of David, which describes his trials and tribulations in his own personal life, running away from Shaul, the battles he fought with the neighboring nations, the Plishim, the Edomim, why is this of all texts chosen to be the Haftorah for the seventh day of Pesach? So the first answer is actually found in the Talmud, and we're going to do these questions back. We're going to do first the Talmud's explanation why this text is the Haftorah for the seventh day of Pesach. Second, we're going to look at this text in the book of Shmuel in general. Third, we're going to look at some very specific verses in the text, verses that some of us know on a day-to-day basis. And finally, come back to our main question, what is its connection from to Pesach? And we're trying to give our own original answer. So the Gemara Megillah says as follows. Why is this connected to Pesach? Rav Papa said, on the seventh day of Pesach, Shisho Pesach, you read from the Torah, Parshat B'Shalach, which is, of course, Shirat Yam, the splitting of the sea, and the song afterwards. And for the Torah, the Shirat David, in which David thanks Hashem for saving him for his enemies. And I'm adding explanations. Rashi gives two reasons. The first reason is... Both are songs. That's true. But the question, of course, is, so what? What is the purpose of a song and text? And we're not going to deal with this immediately, but that has to be our first question. Raji says, oh, here's a song. Here's a song. We're saying Shiratayam, the song of the sea, in the Torah reading. Let's say the song of David. There are other songs that could have been chosen if we feel the need to match up songs. And why specifically is its nature as a song so important? Secondly, Yitziat Mitzrayim, the exodus of, from Egypt, according to Rashi, is implied in the Pesukim themselves. And there Rashi is basing himself on a Mechilta, Mechilta Rabbi Ishmael B'Shalach Perakimel, that says as follows, that in David's words in Araf Torah, we find Moshe's plea to Hashem for divine assistance. And I'm reading from the Mechilta right now. At the moment when Hashem pray, when Moshe prayed to Hashem, God caused Benazar to see an army of angels standing before them to protect them against the onslaught of the Egyptian army. The Midrash is very dramatic that it wasn't just the Egyptians standing passively on one side and the Jews on the other, but rather the Egyptians were throwing everything they had, their, all their weaponry, all their armor at the Jewish people, and they were being protected. And so it says, says the Midrash, at the brightness before him, there passed before him thick clouds of hailstones and coals of fire. This is from Ar Haftorah, Perak Chafbet, Pasuk Gimel, Shmuel Bet, chapter 22, verse 13. His thick clouds, the refer to the 
protect against the troops of the Egyptians? Hailstones to protect against their catapults. They would send the catapult at the Jewish people. God would send a hailstone back like the Iron Dome system, Lahavdil, and knock it out of the air. Finally, coals, they would throw missiles and spears, and God would send coals back at them. The Midrash continues with quoting verses from our Haftarah, and now in verse 14, Yiram mina shamayim Hashem, Hashem thundered in the heavens, meaning the Jews were not could not even hear the Egyptians approach because God was making so much noise to drown them out to prevent them from being able to launch a coordinated attack. All of which says that what Rashi is doing is Rashi understands the Midrashic tradition that this text is somehow intrinsically connected to the miracle that happened at the Red Sea, the splitting of the sea. That's a very interesting and fascinating approach, but it still doesn't answer why this particular text. If I look at this text, I still don't see yet at the, any hint to get see at Mitzrayim. That's what we're going to have to work through today. The other question, of course, that we've already asked is why is this a song? Let's go back now. Where are songs found in Tanakh? Songs are generally found in Tanakh at the revelation of Hashem's presence and power. And that's an interesting phenomenon, because we see the Nativ says in his introduction, why is the Torah called a Shira song? And I'm going to use a metaphor that works with what the Nativ says there in his introduction to the Torah. You can have instruments playing separately, and you'll hear a cacophony of noise and but you won't hear any music but when they all coordinate and play together then you start to appreciate the brilliance of the music the symphony whatever you happen to be listening to so too this is the way the torah works if you take it by piece by piece by piece i criticize this mitzvah i don't understand this story i don't understand this but when i see the large picture it all comes together says in the this is what torah is about and to a large extent there are very specific times in jewish history when all the processes come together. For example, are we leaving Egypt? We're not sure. Hashem's taking us out, but then the Egyptians are following us. What's happening? We aren't quite sure. Suddenly we see that everything that had transpired leads up to this magical moment where God interferes and he saves us and our Egyptian enemy is finally no more forever, eternally. That is it. This is worthy of song. We have another song in Judges 5, for example, okay, after the final victory of the Canaanim, which is listed by, between Devor and Barak, after they catch the Canaanim with all their chariots, and the Jews are hill fighters, they're not meant to stand up against tanks, yet all of a sudden Hashem releases the rains and the clouds, and all of a sudden the tanks get stuck, and they're able to overcome their ancient foe and enemy once and for all, and therefore Devor bursts into song. Now, where do songs fit in the book of Shmuel, Sefer Shmuel? Well, it's interesting that we actually have two songs, one at the beginning of Shmuel and one at the end. And dead set in the middle, the beginning of Shmuel Bet, which is not our division, but at the beginning of Shmuel Bet, there's a kina. And what are these songs about? The first song is the song that Hannah sings at the beginning, right after the birth of Shmuel. And the song is at the beginning of chapter 2 in Shmuel Aleph, Shmuel 1, and it says, it's, and it's very simple structure. First of all, thank you, gladness, recognition, the greatness of Hashem. Two, man should not be arrogant because Hashem is behind everything, and she brings examples of it. And then she concludes with a very interesting line. Hashem should give strength to his king and exalt the horde of his anointed. 
Yiten oz l'malko vayirem alav Hashem yichato mirivav yirkeren mishicho. So, why is Chana suddenly praying for kingship? Rabbi Zak argues in his series, and I think quite convincingly, that in fact that Chana simply not had did not write this song here, but rather she's adapting the themes of the song for her that a pre-existing song for her own personal uses. But why is this important? Listen to the carefully the last several verb words. Hashem should exalt the horn of his anointed. His anointed. Who is gets anointed in Sefer Shmuel? Kings. The first one to be anointed, of course, is Shaul. He is going to be the first king over Israel. And therefore, the second song in the book of Shmuel, the second song, which is really not a song, it's a kinah, it's a lamentation, where David mourns the loss of Shaul. But of course, this song here all of a sudden makes clear to everybody, Shaul was not meant to be king. But he just, listen to the words that David uses. With This is from Shmuel Bet, Chaf Aleph, which is Shmuel Bet, Perak Aleph, Pasuk Chaf Aleph, Shmuel Bet, Chapter 1, verse 21. Okay, for there should be no dew on the mountains of Gilboa with some of the most beautiful and poetic phrases in Tanakh. But then it says, There lies the seal of Shaul, Magen Shaul, Bli Mashiach Bashaman, not anointed with oil. All of a sudden, this word Mishicho suddenly appears again. But now it is broken, it has fallen apart. So now when we take David's personal song of redemption, of being saved by Hashem, where his kingship has now finally become validated, we place it at the end of Sefer Shmuel. So we have this Shana's prayer in the beginning, the failure of Shaul in the middle, the Kina, and then finally at the end, and how does it end? The last verse of our chapter of our Haftorah today, Hashem is a tower of salvation to his king and he shows mercy to his anointed. It's interesting. Dot Mikra has in his commentary on Shmuel Bet, page 527, you want to see several, several comparisons. Like the, the, a lot of the verses from this Haftorah actually come from Shmuel's song back in Shmuel of Perak Bet. You can see it on page 527, the, all the different comparisons. But we see that what David is doing here by putting this song here, or whoever organizes, they put David's song, but it's based and saying all everything that Hannah has prayed for has come finally to fruition. It's interesting. I heard this from a shir from Rabbi Kenny Hirshhorn. Hannah's tefillah mentions Hashem nine times. And that's, of course, the source of saying nine brachas on Rosh Hashanah. However, we have in our chapter, our Haftorah, chapter 22, Shmuel Bet, nine times the word Yeshua. That Hashem is not just Hashem, but Hashem is the one who comes and saves. And that really is the theme of the chapter. So let's look very briefly at our chapter and see if we can understand why it's read on Pesach. Our chapter actually appears, it's almost word for word, Tehillim Yudchet. It appears that Tehillim Yudchet is a later variation where it smooths over some of the grammatical difficulties or different issues here. You can look at Rav Bazak Shir on it online um, at the VBM if you're interested. The Abarbanel mentions that there are 74 different variations. Um, we're not going to go through them all here today. The most famous difference, of course, is what something we say in benching. Migdol Yushot Makol. Right? The David is our 
do we say migdol for benching, or do we say magdil? Magdil actually happens to be the variation in Shmuel, in Tehillim Yudchet. Now, the Torah Tamima makes the following suggestion. He says this is simply a printer's error. Why do we say, on, he writes this in his book, Baruch Shamar, why do we say in the weekday Birkat Amazon, Magdil Yeshua Moko, but on Shabbat we say Migdol? So he says it must be that the person, one of the copyists in the printer wrote, B, Sh, B, which is, of course, in Shmuel Bet, Migdol, but he could have been meant B-Shabbat, that somebody, one of the copyists who afterwards says he meant only on Shabbat you say Migdol. And therefore, this is what created the confusion. The problem is that the Avudram already mentions it. Avudram is a commentary in the Siddur from the 14th century, and he says very simply that Magdil lacks a Yud, it's got a Chirik, it's a small king, it's a king that still needs to be full. And this is what it says in Tehillim Yudchet. On Shabbat, we say Migdol because that's a larger, it's, it demonstrates a larger king, as it were, in comparison to weekday. That God's majesty and his greatness and his kingship is available over, is visible to everybody who sees it. Therefore, Magdil's in Tehillim, he says, when David is not yet king, and Migdol appears in Shmuel Bet when David has already now reigning on the throne. And this is perhaps a much more simple and likely explanation, as it appears that this minhag was not um, from a printer's error or a copy's error, but rather already existed in the time of the Rishonim. Now let's look at our Haftar and see if we can understand what's happening and why it's read on the seventh day of Pesach. So, if you look carefully, there's really two clear parts. Verse 1 to verse 29, and then verse 30 onward, the last 20 verses. Now the first part is very simple. David is saved, he is delivered by the hand of God alone. David pays no part in his own rescue. Even when David mentions himself, he is the object of God's salvation. He is not the cause. He is not in any way active. Okay? And this is what David emphasizes again and again. God is my rock, my fortress. He's the one who's a rescuer. God is my rock, I take cover on him, he's my shield, the horn of my salvation, my refuge, he is my savior, he saves me from violence. And again, with praise I call to God, and from my enemies I will be saved. And so on, and so on, and so on. And then there's a description of the different sort of difficulties that he faces. This is tradition. This seems like traditional Tehillim material, the different types of problems. It describes how God appears in battle. We mentioned some of the verses that um, describe God going to battle against the Egyptians in the Red Sea. They're taken from this section that when God appears to battle as it were, that the earth shakes, that there's volcanoes and lightning and thunder. And then he just, describes how God's appearance saved him. And then he comes to an interesting um, argument. Hashem rewarded me according to my righteousness. Wow, what a statement. What, okay? Hashem rewarded according to righteousness. Meaning, now is David trying to brag here? I don't think that David is trying to do so. Rather, he says, you know, he's trying to convey an educational message, which is that any of my successes in battles and any of my 
successes and getting through my struggles and the difficulties that I went through um, come from me walking in Hashem's path and observing His commandments. Okay, and he says to him, and he includes the first section in verse 27, Im gever titabar, vim ikesh tipalal. If you have a pure man, you sow yourself pure. With a crooked one, you deal crookedly. Go back to verse 5, im chasitit chasad, im gabor tamim titamem. If you are a person is kind, you become kind. If a person is upright, you are upright. You are my lamp, O God. You are the ones who lights my darkness. And that would be a wonderful Tehillim. David turns to Hashem and says, You did it all for me. And you do this because you want to do good in this world. And if people are good, you're willing to do good for them. If people are humble, you're willing to be humble. If people are honest, you're willing you're going to deliver your promises immediately. There's nothing like you, God. This would be typical to Hillam in and of itself. But David now adds a second half. And this becomes, I think, the key to understanding why we read this on the seventh day of Pesach. Having, he could have ended his song here. But now we have something very different. It describes how Hashem trains his hands for war. Hashem's given me the seal of salvation. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Verse 38. I have consumed them and spun them through. For you have girded me of strength. You're the one who puts the sword in my hand. But now, David describes how I'm the one who did the fighting. Verse 43. I beat them as small as the dust of the earth. Okay, as the mud of the street, I did tread upon them. I've stamped them down like mud on the earth. And basically what David is doing here is describing all his success. And all the success and all the effort he's put forth. David's become no longer a passive survivor of circumstances. He's an active fighter. He is the one who is taking control of his own life. There are so many words. Yes, God is the one who gives me the strength to do so. And God's the one who gives me weapons. But I'm the one who now must lift the sword. And if you look very simply at what this is doing within the text, why is David saying this? Because David understands he had two periods in his life. And if go back to the first line of our chapter, when did David say this? David had two types of enemies. There's an enemy. There are all the enemies at which David had to stand up and fight. But there's another enemy where he could only, as it were, absorb the blows and wait for God to intervene. The enemies, when he was king, the role of the king is to go out and fight. But David also went through a period of life when he was being chased by Shaul. But David says, I will not touch him. I'm not fighting back. Hashem has to do my fighting for me. And he says this again and again in his hands through Shmuel. I will not touch Shaul. Hashem has to do this. But I can't be the one to judge Shaul. Even when given the opportunity, not once, but twice, chapter 24, chapter 26, David refrains because it's Hashem's role. So that would be a simplistic reading of the text. The first half where David is passive and the second half where David is active refers to the first half of his life, him and Shal, the second half of his life, him and the rest of the nations. But I want to go back now to why we read this on the seventh day of Pesach. The emphasis of the Pesach Seder is Moshe doesn't appear. Why not? Because God does it all. We are passive. We're stuck in our houses and we don't know what's going on outside. And therefore, Ani, Ani Malach, 
I do it, and this is the emphasis, this is what we emphasize in the Haggadah, that God is the one who is responsible for our salvation solely. Even coming to the Yamsuf, even coming to the Red Sea, Stand by. You'll see the salvation from Hashem. But be quiet. You're not to be involved. But this is the last time where this takes place. Where Hashem takes care of us like a newborn infant, a baby that's unable to care for himself. Slowly but surely, throughout our trips in the desert. And then, of course, when we come to the land of Israel, we have to learn to fight our own fights. We have to learn to take responsibility for our own actions. In fact, Pesach doesn't end with Pesach. Pesach ends, according to Torah, with Shavuot, where we accept the commandments, where we accept the responsibility. And it's this transition that occurs in the Torah from leaving Egypt, where the final time when we have to be passive is at the Red Sea, where we watch God do everything for us. But then we have to suddenly move to becoming active partners in our own destiny and writing our own future, yet recognizes God that helps us. And that's why I think we read the Haftorah on the seventh day of Pesach, because here we have the perfect split, the perfect description of a person who underwent trials and tribulations in his life, David, who describes how Hashem did his fighting for him. But he understands midway through that he has to take responsibility for his own actions. And then the second half of the Tehillim that we are going to read describes very simply, now I take part in the fighting. Now I have to take responsibility. But in doing so, I never forget that it is Hashem who girds me, Hashem who protects me, even as I'm the one who is going out doing the fighting. And that, I think, is why this is the Haftorah for the seventh day of Pesach. With those thoughts in mind, I want to wish everybody a wonderful Chag, Chag Sameach, and everything. everybody should be well and healthy in this trying time. We'll continue going back to Malachim Bet after Pesach.